Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to John Edmonds Cosmos Unimpressed Podcast with Gerard Heron. The Unimpressed Podcast, coming to you from North Carolina and New Jersey. So you've made it from South Carolina back up to North Carolina, John. I am back in North Carolina for this episode four of the Unimpressed Podcast with Gerard Heron. You know, man, it's um, you know, we've we've been talking about the highs and lows, trying to to navigate through you know the, the minefield that is the entertainment industry. You know, it's kind of like heartbeats. You have you have your run and then you fall and then you got to fight your way back. Look, I know this is an evergreen podcast and I don't want to drag people down but I feel kind of the same way with you know kind of what's happening in America too we, we have our highs and we have our lows we talked last week about how important it is to do the right thing you know and as corny as that sounds it, it really is important because you never know where you stand anymore everything is is like 24-hour news cycle everything is new every day the, the you know the the, the the world is is crumbling every day so you know people I know I'm having a a hard time processing everything, you know, like a lot of the things that I love are taking a beating. Like I, I spent a summer in Minnesota. It was one of the best summers of my life. I lived, I lived literally right across the bridge from, um, you know, where the protesting and rioting is happening in St. Paul. I, I was a five minute drive away. We used to party there after the games. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it really pains me to see what's happening. The minute the people in Minnesota say, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, the twin cities are, are just the chillest, coolest people I've ever met in my life, man. Like I, I loved, I loved it so much. I almost thought about staying there after I was done playing. That's how much I loved it. Uh, and it just really, you know, it hurts me. And then, um, 400 minor league baseball players were released, uh, today. I don't know if you saw that, John, over 400 people were released. The A's, uh, uh, are refusing to pay their their players. The Mets are refusing to play their players. Um, I got to give a shout out to David Price, who was just traded to the Dodgers. He, he is going to donate a million dollars to help the minor league players who um, aren't, they're not eligible for unemployment, believe it or not. Uh, so these are guys that, you know, they got released and, and they're ineligible for unemployment. And, um, so, I mean, these are just things that, that, you know, are happening. And I, you know, I'm a comedian. I try to be a happy guy. I try to put like a, a, a happy face on things. They raise the tolls in Jersey. It's just like I'm having a tough time processing this stuff, John. And uh, you always have a good way of, of putting a positive spin on things. So I'm hoping you can kind of lift my mood and maybe lift the mood of, of some of our listeners out there because this is uh, it just feels like one body blow after another recently. Well, I think there's a lot of uh, tension, you know, that's that's been built up over this two and a half months of uh, quarantine. And I think there's a lot of a uh, lot of unknowns out there that's making people a little bit nervous. You know, and people need to I think people need to look at themselves, take responsibility for themselves, you know, look at the landscape. You know, when you look at the landscape and see how things are changing, because we don't know how how this is 
is going to be. Obviously, the limits and rules and regulations of how we live life are going to be different. So I think we have to take a step back. Don't overreact on the initial changes. See where the dust settles. Once the dust settles, then you can uh, find your path and readjust yourself to whatever you need to to survive in this in this day and time. And um, t- intensity is very, very high with everybody and situations. And, and when I say take responsibility in the community is it's just like this situation in Minneapolis. It's uh, it's a very sad situation, and you know you know maybe the you know maybe that organization uh, that group maybe they need to when I say group I say the the police department or whoever it was that's over these policemen. Mm-hmm. You know maybe there needs to be better value check on who works for you and how they work, uh, and uh, you know dig a little deeper into your business and what whatever that is, make sure you have the right personnel out there that represents you and take pride in that. And I think if we can take pride in, in what, what represents us, there might be better outcomes. We insert, there might be better outcomes in certain situations like this, you know, disaster in Minneapolis. Yeah. You, you know, one of the other problems with, you know, the 24 hour news cycle and social media, you know, we're on social media, you know, there's a lot of, everybody always talks about the negatives of social media, especially that's in the news recently with, with the new executive order. But there are a lot of positives in social media. Like you're, we would never be able to do this even five years ago. You and I, you know, we haven't seen each other in three months. You know, we would never be able to have the conversations that we're having. And I, I love them. I, I've been going live twice a week, once with you, once with myself. And it's, it's cathartic for me. Otherwise, I'd be locked up here alone, you know, so, you know, away from the outside world. So there, there's a lot of good about social media. But one of the bad things about social media is kind of what you said before, the, the concept of taking a step back, taking a 10,000 foot view, letting things play themselves out. That's the antithesis of, of what we do now. You know, we it's all knee jerk reactions and knee jerk reactions are always emotional. You know, it, it's you're angry or you're mad or you're sad. And, and when you're emotional, um, you know, you make you make bad decisions. You know, that's why when, when you, you know, if you've ever been to anger management, the first thing they teach you is count down from 10 and take a deep breath before you react <laughs> from somebody that's been to anger management. Um, you know, so we're all having these knee jerk reactions. Everybody's really emotional. And then they get stuck in what they initially said, because then somebody else emotionally reacts to what they said. And then they, everybody gets dug in. They, nobody ever wants to be like, you know what? There's new information. I, I need to change my mind. You know, we're all stuck in that initial reaction. Um, and, and I think what ends up happening is we always get a sense of what's wrong, but we never get presented solutions. And I know that that's something that really sits on me heavy is I, I'm always constantly hearing this is wrong. This is wrong. This is bad. This is bad. But then I never hear ways to fix it. So we even if I agree with you, even if I agree, like, okay, this, this is a bad situation. What's next? No, but it's just really bad and everybody's bad and this person's this and that person's that. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. But how do we fix it? So I, I, I'm, I am a, how do we fix it? And when, when I don't see solutions being put forth, that's when I really start getting that tension that you talked about. That's the right word to use. I get that tension. I get that angst in my soul. And I'm just like, man, we got to get past this. We, we have to figure out uh, there, there is something wrong here, but we can't just keep yelling at each other every time something happens there has to be a solution i mean i think you have to have checks and balances you know, for everybody across the board and everything that's being done. I mean, I think we have to reset 
our businesses, reset our front lines, reset our government. I think everybody from a, a population standpoint has to reset themselves. Instead of making one person accountable, you know, for a situation or, or their actions, make everybody accountable for the situation of actions because big changes can't be done unless you have big numbers making those changes. And, you know, it takes more than one in two people. So I think holding everybody responsible for certain situations, you know, in society, I think can bring a, a, a stronger resolve, you know, if people will, will stick to it, you know, I mean, if you want something that's, that's better, hold everybody accountable, make the resolve come in numbers and not just isolate one person or two people and destroy them, you know, isolate the whole organization, whoever they're involved with, who is responsible for them. Because if I run an organization, I'm responsible for bang production and we have a reputation to carry out. And if we don't deliver that reputation and, you know, what people expect we're supposed to do, then we're not going to keep the same reputation moving forward. So I think it's making everybody responsible to fix problems on a major scale. Yeah. Although I will say on an individual level, I've, I've traveled this country for 17 years. Since I was 17 years old, I've gone coast to coast. I've been to 42 states and I haven't just like stayed in a place for a day and moved on. Like I've lived in different cities across this country, normally poor cities, uh, as I know you have as well. On an individual level, if you want to, you can connect with anybody anywhere. I mean, that's part of what we do as comedians is we walk into a place where we've never been before, uh, into a full room of complete strangers, and we figure out a way to connect. We figure out what we have in common. We focus on our commonalities, not our differences. And again, you know, I don't want this to sound like a Saturday morning special. I'm not trying to be corny, but these, these are the real truths of it. If you focus on your small differences, you can create that tension that you're talking about, John. But just as easily, uh, you know, you can focus on on the connective tissue between us all. And I promise you, after 17 years going coast to coast, I have more in common with everybody that I meet in all these different places than I have. We, we have to dig deep and learn about each other before we find the differences. The differences are, are, are deep within us and they're small. They're small differences. You know, if we all took it upon ourselves, you know, Bill Belichick, I love Bill Belichick. Just do your job. Just do your job. You know, it sounds like so simple, but it's the truth. If every person just kind of does their job, job, or as you like to say, stays in their lane, you know, and, and focuses on what connects us, we can begin to to kind of heal coming out of this, this quarantine and, and this this mass kind of hysteria. You know, it, it, it's incumbent upon us as individuals to take it upon ourselves to say, you know, man, this is what I like about you not not i don't care what i dislike about you this is what i like about you and, and i i feel like that's something that is real easy for everybody it doesn't cost any money and it, it, it's it's one solution i'd like to put forward that you know if you can try to train yourself in your daily interactions to not see the best in people but to look for it there's a difference look for something that you you have in common with somebody else and something as simple as hey man you've been to kid rocks honky tonk that's a cool hat that changes your perspective of somebody right from the beginning you know nothing about that guy but you know guys know that you know we're on the same wavelength as far as kid rocks hockey talk and, and that something as simple as that that connective tissue has so much power it has the power to change the entire 
beginning of the conversation, the entire beginning of a relationship with a stranger, you know, and, and that's, um, you know, I don't want to harp on it too long, John. Well, and we, should, we should, we should hand out the um, sales manual for any sales organization out there, sales 101, because in sales 101, you know, what's the first thing you do when you meet, when, when you're trying to sell somebody something, what's the first thing you do? Your first thought process is not a negative thought process. Your first thought process is let's fi- find a common ground, build a common ground. And then once you build a common ground with that person or that customer, then you try to sell them something. So maybe we need to hand out America, the sales 101 uh, handbook. You know, they can start finding a common ground with somebody out the gate and see where those relationships go instead of the the negative response we have with 99% of anything and everything that we see in this world. That's what I said. People's minds are so programmed negative reaction because they see a lot of negative stuff because that's all we see in the media is negativity, you know, and maybe if there was a mix of positivity and everybody tried to find a common ground in each other, maybe some things could improve. It's a good point. The uh, we'll, we'll start selling kindness. <laughs> selling, exactly. Yeah, I like that. That's a good perspective on it. It's true, you know. Because um, you, you got to make somebody, you got to make somebody happy if you're going to sell them something and they got to be able to relate to you if you're going to sell them something. If you're going to take money from somebody, they, got, they need to be able to relate to you on both directions. And here, and here everybody in the world is thinking salespeople are, are the bad people. Salespeople are the scum of the earth. And you're out here like, sales will save the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you think about it, it would. No, it's smart. It's smart. You know, that's it, it is true. It, it, it's, you know, it, and in a way, being a comedian is kind of selling yourself in a way, right? It's like, hey, this is me. Uh, you got to like me. You got to connect with me just to listen to me, you know? That's a good point. I never I never thought of it that way. Um, more simple relations. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about it, too, man, is like the concept of the sale is I, I need to be nice to you to get something from you. And that seems like a bad thing. But there, there's also that kind of greed is good, you know, a Gordon Gecko side of it, where it was like, you know, I, I want to be nice to you to get something out of you so that you're nice back to me. So I get the positive interaction. It, it's not bad to necessarily come at it from, I don't want to say selfish. Selfish isn't the right term, but it's like there, there's a pragmatic response. It's like, I want you to like me. So I'm going to say something nice to you. And, and it's because I don't want, I don't want the angst. I don't want the tension. You know, there, there's definitely something to be said for that, man. You walk into a place and you leave with a compliment and that's not being a pushover and that's not being you know uh you know a yes man either that's just i guess back in the day that was called manners right (laughs) i guess back in the day it was manners but the next 10 new people you meet here's the test that everybody can do the next 10 new people you meet in your life no matter who they are where they come from try to find a common ground five things for each of those 10 people that's a common ground that you guys can relate together on and see where that relationship goes. I like that. I also, uh, can I, if I can, I'll add to that. To find five people on social media today to, to compliment about something. Instead of arguing with somebody about politics, instead of saying something negative or writing a negative Yelp review, how about you, you actually compliment somebody about something? They take a nice picture, write a comment, compliment it. I think that that's a really, that's a good call to action there, John. I think if we actively pursue positivity, the trickle down effect from that is, it's just something you have to do to really understand. I, I, I rejected for a long time. I rejected the whole concept of like the power of positivity. I thought of it as corny. I thought of it as like, oh, this is just like these people need this self help stuff. And I remember talking to people who would do daily affirmations and I'd be like, this cornball, man. Like I, I, I really, I rejected it. Well, you know what your grandma mother used to tell you when you were little? What'd your grandma used to say? 
I don't know what. One of the things I used to remember that my grandma used to tell me, if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say it at all. Yeah. You know, and I think those values uh, have gone far away from this day and time. <laughs> yeah, now it's if you can't say something nice about somebody, write it on the Internet. Yeah, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> like if, you, if you have that energy, right, if you have – that's what I don't get about people that do – say negative things. For me, I don't put a lot of value in comments. Mm -hmm. Comments to me have no value. I don't put a lot of value in comments. I appreciate your interest, whatever it may be. I appreciate that, no doubt. I don't put a lot of value in thought process into coming up with a comment that gives me no value back. So why am I saying something that gives myself no value? You know, yeah. if I'm if yeah. I want to say something, I want it to mean something from myself first, or I'm just wasting my time, you know? So if you, if you put that inner, if you put that time and effort and energy into something to say something negative, what's the difference in putting that time and energy into something to say something positive and take the thought process a different direction? We are in a perpetuation of a negative world. And I think when you say numbers, I, th I think we got to make everybody responsible for that because of the negative world we live in. Why are we letting it happen? Happen. Why are we not? Why are, why are we not stopping it? You know, yeah. why don't we hold everybody accountable? You know, everybody. It has to be done on a mass number, making everybody accountable, make people becoming better people is a big deal as well. So think positive first and quit the perpetuation of negativity that I've always said, which I don't know. I mean, you only have you only have so many thoughts in life. Why not make more of them positive? It's very interesting that I, I listened to uh, Brett Weinstein on the Joe Rogan podcast once. And he's like a world renowned sociologist. And he basically said the reason why we care about the negative content uh, comments more than the positive comments and why people comment negatively it all comes together in this like vicious circle is in our minds like you know, we have this evolutionary lag. We're still, you know, somebody says something bad about me, they're a threat. They can, they can kill me in the middle of the night, you know, so, so we're on threat alert level. It, it, somebody saying something negative, it hits our fight or flight uh, within deep within our, our DNA. It hits our coding. Where if somebody says something nice to you, they don't come off as a threat. So, you know, you never, you don't even process it to reply. It becomes this vicious cycle where people say things that are negative. You're more cognizant of them because it, it reaches your coding as a threat. So you respond, which is all that person wanted out of you anyway. So you're teaching people that the way to get your attention and the way to get you to respond is to say something negative. So it's this, like you like to say, this self-perpetuation. Um, you know, it, it's a really interesting thing. And again, that's why I say... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we got to talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash unimpressed. You know, the power of positivity, it's not, it, it's very, very hard. It's very difficult. My default is not to be positive. My default is to be angry. My default is to seek revenge, get back at people to compete. But where did that, where did that line come from? We what don't do have, we don't have to have that foundation. You don't have to have that foundation of information because Information drives society. Mm-hmm. You know, you live your life based on information and what we think things are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who made that rule? So, you know, and the reason I say that is, and you have to think, you, I think you have to think deep about this, is that when you make, a, when you write something, it becomes the gospel, and becomes the rules, where did the, the foundation of that come from? You know, because if information drives society, right, and we only hear positive things, mm-hmm. and we never heard negative things, then you wouldn't have a preconceived uh, notion of what negative is like. So why have we created the the boundary and responses we've created internally in the human society? Well, yeah, and and that that's exactly my point. That's what I'm saying. But you know, we're we're hamsters right now, John. Like we are the first generation ever to be doing the things that we're doing. We've never our, our hundreds of thousands of years of human existence. They've never been able to communicate as as often as we're able to communicate. They don't have access to the information that we have. But, but I guess what I guess what I'm saying is if it's it's law of percentages. Life is about sensitivities and percentages. You go through life and you develop sensitivities to certain things you experience in life. And then those experiences create the percentages of life. And that becomes who you are as a person. We are somebody when we're born, obviously, and we have a certain uh, feed, if you will, that's going to, that has a certain type of direction, whether you're athletic, whether you're intelligent, whether you're smart, whatever your specialties are, everybody has a different special attributes per se. When we're driving down that road and we we get up on that green sign and we know when we pass that green sign, a red car is going to hit us in the side and we keep going down and passing that green sign and that red car keeps hitting us. That's going to craft who you are as a person and craft the percentages of your life is what I'm saying. So if your percentages of positivity are greater and outweigh the negative, you can keep peeling that onion to maybe dilute the negative that's being perpetuated in human society, you know, but we have to do it. Yeah, that's the point. That's that's the part of it. That's what Weinstein said. And that's that's what I agree with you on is 
It does, but my point is it doesn't come naturally. Like we're coded to hear the negative more. So people are coded to, to say the negative because they know it'll be heard. We have to actively pursue the positive. It doesn't come naturally because that's not the way we're coded. Just like, you know, people are afraid of the dark. Even if nothing's ever happened to them in the dark, there's hundreds of thousands of years of human code that says you need to be on alert when it's dark out that this is this is when you die right so there there's coding inside but of the only us. the we only need to reason fight back against we need to fight back against the coding that's the evolution of, of the current heaven the, the the current human mind is evolving this is the evolution we need to be able to recognize we're being negative first of all recognize and then second of all fight back against that urge that internal urge to then be positive it's a very difficult thing to to do but it's worthwhile but the only reason we're the only reason we're scared of the the dark is because we know there's light, you know, a blind person is not scared of the dark because he's never seen light. OK, That's so uh, I think it is. Well, we're also scared of the dark because predators, you know, like when we were living in the jungle there, that's when the cats, the big cats came out and killed us in the middle of the night. You but know, a, blind, a blind person still had to survive, too. And all yeah. these is dark. You know what I'm saying? It's like I think it's 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 all. It's all relative and it's all perception. Yeah, I, I agree. But but I guess my point, I'm agreeing with you. I guess my point is, though, is that understand people who are negative. I understand why they're negative and I don't blame them. Really, I don't think they're bad people. I just think they need to become aware of their coding and actively pursue positivity. And once I started actively pursuing positivity, you know, my life really did change for the better a lot, the significantly better. But it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to try to find the positive every day. It's a struggle. And you have to have a process for me anyway. For me, I have to have a process. I have to get up and immediately I need to write down 10 things I'm grateful for. And again, I understand for some people listening, rolling their eyes, hearing this, believe me, I get it. I was where you are. I'm like, oh, this guy, you know, like there's something broken. But you know what? I, I, I had to admit it because otherwise I just get sucked deep down into a John. I don't know if this is the vapors. This is this probably isn't the vapors, but I get sucked d deep down into the darkness, you know, and I have to actively remind myself that there's way more good than there's bad and that there's way more positive than there's negative. And otherwise, what ends up happening is that that negativity kind of defines me. And then I start being negative with people that I love and, and being negative in relationships and, and being negative in my work. And, you know, it, it comes out poorly. And there's a lot of there's a lot of comedians who, who frankly, are just depressed, who make money off of that, that kind of angst. But they're they're just they're dying inside, man. They're dying. You know, they're really and I, I think eventually what ends up happening is you just can't be negative, negative, negative all the time in your act. I think, you know, there, there's some moments where your audience appreciates you being real, but it, there has to be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Otherwise, it's just, man, what you know, what what am I listening to here? It's it's a tough scenario, but I think everybody has, you know. Everybody has to take notice to get anything done. I mean, it's it's if we don't take notice, when when are we going to take notice when it's too late? Yeah. And, and, you know, I also don't feel bad about people that, you know, because they're being used as well. You know, uh, we talked about this with with tech. Uh, maybe it was two episodes ago. You know, th there are people that they just don't stand a chance. That's one of the things, you know, Andrew Yang said. And, I, you know, I didn't agree with a lot of the things Andrew Yang said, but I did appreciate his honesty. And I appreciated his thought process when he was running for president. He, he, he presented some solutions, which was which was different than you're used to. And he said, you know, there are people the way that the, the information is collected now, you know, they know exactly who they're 
target audiences before the the person even knows that they're in that audience. So it's not even it's not even sales like you were saying before. It's like they know they know within a ninety percent that this person's going to agree with this message if we say it in this way. So you know it's it's like propaganda on steroids. It's very very difficult to to understand what's real and what's not. We went down a road to get here. What's the road to make us better? So we drove here. Now do we turn around? Mm-hmm. and make a right or we can make a left. People really care about humanity as much as they respond to the emotional things that happen out there in the world, whatever the emotional things may be. Turn that emotion into collectively helping make everybody better. Focus that energy into making yourself better as a person and then trying to help everybody else around you. I don't know what else the answer is. It's almost it's almost like hit the reset button now, you know? Let's hit the reset button now and, and, and try to make things a little different. Pandora's box, right? It's open. It's tough, it's good, you know? And uh, and you, you used to probably see it with your daughter all the time. Like, you know, her entire life is going to be on, on some sort of recording device. It's going to be on some sort of social media. It's going to be on some sort of camera. You know, the generation's coming forward. Uh, you know, I was, I was joking around with my buddies, John, the, uh, Sarah Cleveland, uh, great, great woman. She was, she was in the show. She, she, uh, you met her in Nashville. She, she did the movie with us. While they were in the show in Nashville, her daughter had a sleepover and she was watching the, her daughter's sleepover on video camera from, Mm -hmm. from our show, you know? And I'm like, man, what is even the point of being a teenager anymore? If you can't, if you can't sneak out of the house, you know, everything's on video camera. She, she's like, oh, it's just to make sure nobody comes in. It's like, yeah, but you're spying on this, uh, Uh, on this sleepover we might as well at 15 years old drop out of high school get a union job become a union plumber do 25 years on the job go to college at 40 and you know drink and party for five years at 40 enjoy the heck out of yourself learn to become a drama major or do whatever you're passionate about and then live the second half of your life chasing your dreams but with a pension you know it's like if if you're if you're not even going to allow people to be teenagers if everything that they do is going to be recorded and if big brother is always watching and every mistake that they make growing up like part of growing up are these mistakes is going to be held against them and they're going to be held accountable in ways that we don't even hold adults accountable for anymore what's even the point drop out get a job <laughs> stop smoking marble reds get your pension at 40 and live the second half of your life you know like what the what the hell well i do think there needs to be a break in structure to some extent you know because i think now more than ever because a lot of things aren't what they are supposed to be like the way we're trained way you know some of the students are trained in school the way they're trained in college i think they need to up- update their their education system content they're they're feeding the kids because they're already smarter than the books they're going to read before they go to school somehow i think we need to adapt adapt the uh, curriculum you know in society as well to start preparing them better yeah. you know because right now we're preparing them for a 19 19- 52 war or whatever the hell it is, because that's what our books are still talking about instead of, you know, starting there. That's that's where you start in numbers. All right. Let's look at the reality. So here's how we're we're teaching our young people now. So based on the information that's in society, based on the technology that's in society and based on these current books, how do we blend or meld what we have and make it better for the future? Because nothing's changed in 30 or 40 years. And I think that's a problem. So I think, I think that the way we've taught people that 
if you get this job, you're at this level in society. I think all those rules need to be broken and need to be changed and need to be restructured because that's not the case anymore. Because, you know, if if you have a kid believing that if I get that certain job, this is where I'm at in society. And those certain a lot of those certain jobs that give you those positions in society, it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Things are changing, you know, and it's a it's an independent world. And I think we need to cater to that to some extent and craft the minds of these kids early and get them out of the, the stone ages. Yeah, you can see that indoctrination, too, even as adults. The first thing somebody asks you when they meet you is, hey, how are you, John? Nice to meet you. How you doing? Hey, what do you do for a living? That's the first thing they ask you. What they're saying is like, how much should I respect you? I don't know anything about you. How much should I respect? Like, I always answer like, oh, I'm an astronaut. Yeah, I know. I'm the world's first 300-pound astronaut. It's crazy. They're, they're very buoyant. It's good for the space station. You know, <laughs> what do you care what I do for a living? Ask me what my hobbies are. Ask me Ask me something about myself. Like, I, what you do is not who you are. When those people ask you what you do for a living, that's the first thing out of them. I don't trust them at all. I said, man, this isn't my kind of guy. Because all they're asking is whether or not they should respect you. They're asking whether or not they feel like they're better than you. It's not, that's not small talk. That's a test. I can't that crap. That judgment putting you in a category of where you are in society. Yeah, I don't believe in that a bit because I've I've talked to people that are you know homeless, and I've talked to billionaires. And I think I think people have the same sensitivities anywhere you go. I think they're just environmentally driven different direction anywhere you go, you know, and you're used to more in one place, which creates uh, an unknown in another place. And, you know, more in this place, which creates unknown to the other place. So the unknowing and knowing is the diverse effect on where you grew up in life or you know when i say where location wise because environmentally i think environment has a lot to do with how you craft those percentages of life i agree but i think the the school part of it makes sense too because when i was going to school the guidance counselors had you believing that if you didn't go to college and you became a tradesman like you were you were wasting your potential you were giving up on life who wants to be an electrician every electrician i know makes six figures every plumber i know has the biggest house on the block you know so like this concept of if you if you didn't go to college if you took up a trade you were somehow a failure i mean can you imagine like pressing that on an entire generation of kids you know it's you know our school i went to public school and maybe it's just around here. I don't want to talk to speak to everybody else's experience, but around here, man, our public school was not about educating anybody. It was about teaching people to show up on time, answer the bell and obey authority. You know, you couldn't you couldn't speak up. You couldn't couldn't argue with your teachers. They'd suspend you. You, you couldn't show up late to class. All they wanted you to do was show up on time, leave when the bell told you to leave shut your mouth and obey. They were teaching us to be factory workers is what they were teaching us, really. You know, looking back at it from, as from an adult perspective, they weren't really worried about educating us. They were worried about molding us into obedient nine to five employees. You know, I think, and- I think structure, I think structure is good. I mean, I do think some structure is good. I mean, I don't think you need to live your life by a schedule, a uh, hundred 10% of the time, I think you got to break out of that schedule. I think you develop your own schedule in life, per se. But two things that to think about that kind of deflate to me, this is my thought process of why the curriculum and education system needs to be improved is because to me, you know, the reason some of the education system is so, so old, the curriculum is so old is think about, think about the imaginations kids have before they go to school. I think school was set up in initially to slow down learning because when kids 
from ages one to five, their imaginations are incredible. And when you put them in school at five and six years old, they start losing that imagination. So to some extent, I think our education system was set up to slow their learning down because if you were back in the day and you had five professors standing there and all these kids have the greatest, you know, minds on the planet with what they're coming up with, their imaginations and so forth. They're like, we got to slow this shit down because if we don't, they're going to take over. That's, yeah. that's, that's just whether I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. But if you think about how kids are when they were first kids and then when they went to school, they mm -hmm. totally change. And the other thing, the other thing that kind of puts up to me deflates the college system is when you talk about what's the best school in the country to go to. Why do you think that school is the best school in the country to go to? And why is those schools the ones, the best schools in the country? Why are they always mentioned? And I'll tell you something that has a inline deal that people need to think about as well. Why is that? I mean, what, like if you said, where do you want to send your daughter to the best school in the country? Well, well, there, there's marketing involved. I wrote a, I wrote a, a, a mini documentary that was on, it's got like 3 million views on Valuetainment on YouTube called uh, College is a Scam. And in this, we did like a, a two month deep dive uh, and what we found is that uh, there's one publication, U.S. News and World Report, that over 90% of people, over 90% of people reference when asking why they went to the school that they went to. And then we found out that U.S. News and World Report solicits donations from colleges for it to continue running. So, you know, there, there, there seems to me to be a very obvious uh, conflict of interest. If most people are looking at U.S. News and World Report for their school rankings, but U.S. News and World Report is getting money from schools. But I tell you what trumps all that. I tell you, I can tell you the I can tell you what trumps all that. And why they've they've been mentioned, and why we've they've they've developed a third and fourth generation type mentality at certain colleges. And what that is is when you say, "All right, where where should my daughter go to school?" Harvard University, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, it's Harvard University? Yeah, Harvard, Princeton, Ivy League, Stanford, and I'll, and I'll, yeah, so Harvard, Stanford, um, MIT. Mm -hmm. I think those are three. And you know what? Those three schools, I know Harvard, I think Harvard's one. I have to look at the numbers, but Harvard has the biggest endowment than any college in the country. Yeah. Stanford, the same thing. MIT, the same thing. So when you hear people talking about what are the best schools in the country to go to, yeah. check and see how, see what the top schools are listed with the biggest endowment. I mean, these uh -huh. Schools have endowments that are outrageous. The, the Harvard endowment it would be the world's 50th or 51st largest GDP. The Harvard endowment alone is larger than the economy of almost 100 countries on Earth. There, there's some marketing power. And they still get money from the government, John. Our taxes still go there and they still get tax-exempt status. These colleges still get tax-exempt status. Princeton University charges $70,000 a semester. I mean, $70,000 a year, I'm sorry, $35,000 a semester. And you and I are still, our tax money gets funneled into them and they pay no tax taxes on any of that real estate that they own in downtown Princeton. Pretty good gig. Well, the thing is, too, is like, what do they, you know, when these people give donations, you know, they give donations and they put that money in their endowment and they run the school off the interest. They never touch the principal. Yeah. 
Yeah. They ne- yeah, they yeah. never touch the principal money and the money stays there and the interest pays for the college. So why do we need, if they have a gazillion dollar endowment, why do they need to pay tuition? Yeah, and, and at least they're private schools. Look, they're private schools, whatever. You go into a private business, you got to deal with their rules. The fact that public schools, John, do the exact same thing, the fact that Rutgers gets $3 billion a year from New Jersey, $3 billion a year from the state of New Jersey, and then has the, the gall to charge the residents tuition to go there on top of the three bill they already got from the state. Come on, how's that not a scam? In what world is that not a scam, you know? That's what I was talking about, flushing out these issues in society as a whole. Yeah, I think that's why people are angry. I think that's why people are angry because the more information we have about these things, the more people ask questions, the more they're like, wait, man, like, why is my toll? Like, in any sort of normal world, your tolls going up from $1.50 to $1.90 wouldn't be a big deal. But the, they went up from 125 to 150 and it was supposed to cover our budget. And then it's like, wait a minute, we, we're still at a deficit. You've already raised our tolls. Why are we raising them again? If, if you, you haven't figured out how to spend the money in the first place, the more information we have, it's just hard not to feel like you're getting screwed. And when you, you, you can only feel like you're getting screwed for so long before you really want to lash out. At least I feel that way, man. Like I just, it's like, man, I just feel like I'm getting screwed. And it's a really, really, it's a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling to lose faith in, in, in your system, you know? Well, we need to fix it. We need to fix it fast. You know, we need to, you know, really look at, you know, the people that, you know, live in this country, quit trying to divide everybody. Everybody's one. I think people are the same, uh, no matter where they come from, what they look like. Uh, We all have the same sensitivities. And I think if we go back and show a little humanity towards people, maybe we can improve things. Maybe we can hold more people responsible to improve humanity. I mean, I'm not sure what needs to be said. It's almost like that movie, if you, that movie that, you know, the guy, be all end all power of that of that city and that world had one big microphone. I mean, how do you get everybody on that one big microphone and get them on the same page and make them understand if we do point A to point B, this is going to help thing, you know, well, just, and, and everybody's got to pay attention. Well, just in, in our let's just I'll, I'll just be selfish and talk about our, our position like I'm ready to get out. I'm ready to get out on the road. I'm ready to do shows. I'm ready. Like I am so ready. Like I'm, I, I understand the risks involved, but I'm an adult and I, and I should be allowed to make these decisions for myself. Like, you know what? If, if I want to go to a venue and if I'm willing to, 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 you know, take these risks and other adults, other consenting adults are able to also, you know, I, I find it outrageous that, that these, these same people, that are taking our money and, and giving it to however they want to give it to these schools and everything else like that. And, but even though we, we don't know where the money's going to have the, the, the nerve to say, Hey, you, you can't go out and work. You can't go out and work. It's not safe for you to go out and work. Well, it's safe for me to pay my bills. Apparently, John, I've been paying my bills for two months, man. It's safe for me to pay my bills. It's just not safe for me to get on the road. And if we do get on the road, it's only 25% capacity. Like, so if, if more people want to come in, they can't like, we're all adults here, man. Like it, it, it drives me out of my mind it really does like you know and i try not to be selfish about it but at the same time like man we're all adults here like you know why can't we go do the things that we want to do we're not harming anybody i think it's uh industry controlled i think industry is trying to figure out if we give out all this money right is it cheaper to give out all this money and we control the people i don't know i mean it's it's a bad thing to think about but if if we did this if we had this scenario in the next 50 years right we had the same scenario 
say three or four times with the same type of situation is each time this happens it are we going to uh respond as a society mm-hmm. or are we going to let the governments decide for us well it's an interesting thing that you said there because I was talking to my buddy Bryant McCombs the other night and um you know, Brian was a world record holder. He was a sprinter. He actually was the 400 meter world record holder for, for like seven years. And now he's in tech and, um, you know, really impressive dude. And, uh, off air, we talked about Katrina. And, you know, one of the things people don't realize about Katrina is there was three other hurricanes before Katrina that they said the levees were going to break. Everybody really needs to, to get to high ground. Everything bad is going to happen. And it never happened. Like there was barely raindrops. The, the forecasts were wrong. So by the time Katrina came around and they were like, this is going to be a big one. Everybody's got to leave. People were already like, no, to hell with these people. They're, they're always wrong. Why would I leave? And then something really, really bad happened. Katrina it destroyed the entire ninth ward. Right. And I think that, you know, you bring up a really interesting point. The next time this happens, because this is happening every two years now, there's MRSA, there's SARS, there's H1N, you know, the, every two years there's a new one. So in two years, when this happens again, and they, the government says, hey, we got to shut our businesses down, and businesses that were shut down and barely survived, barely survived, you think these guys are going to shut their businesses down next time? No way. Do you think people are going to, you know, do the social distancing? No way. And then it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Because you're going to have a a societal breakdown to a certain extent where people just don't care about the rule of law. And then it becomes, well, how sick are people going to get if it's a really bad one? So you have it on both sides. You know, it is this overreaction, which I think we can say was an overreaction, is going to have two really, really bad effects. One, the next time, I don't think people are going to trust what we're being told by our experts because they were so wrong this time. And I think that that's going to really put a lot of people at significant risk. Well, I think the I think when you when you bring in experts, right? I think we need to start doing like they do for a trial. We're going to bring in this jury of experts to decipher, and they got to be asked twenty five questions and see if they know something. And they can't be affiliated with this. They can't be affiliated with that because what happens with what happens now? There's really no professional advice. There's really no professional advice because most of these people are figureheads. You know, they're puppets run by somebody or something that's going to talk about what their crew and their people want to do. Find 10 people unbiased to, I guess it's unbiased, right? Find 10 people unbiased to the current topic and subject. And then let's get some real answers. Because I think think the positions that are given as advice now have a hidden agenda. You know, there's no real advice. For sure. Real advice for the better good of the people, in my opinion. For sure. They've gone back and forth. How many times? How can you trust them? How can experts be this wrong this often and still be considered experts? That's what I want to know, man. It's like, you know, we, we need to have a, a you gotta, if you're going to be an expert, you got to be a little bit sharper than 2 million people are going to die. Oh, 60,000 people are going to die. Like, they got to be a little sharper than that. You know, and, and it's personal threshold. Let me ask you personal threshold, right? The, the, the COVID, um, the COVID mortality rate is one half of 1% right now. That, that's what the, the best figures are. One half of 1%. So if there was a bowl of M&Ms, 200 M&Ms, that means one of those M&Ms would kill you. 
would you pick one M&M out of that bowl? If you, if it was three months of your life, you, if it was between your business, saving your business, right? Providing from your family, saving your business. You had to pick one M&M out of that bowl. One of those M&Ms was going to kill you 100%. The other 199 would not. Would you, would you pick an M&M out of that bowl? I mean, we roll the dice every day. I mean, we get in a car and, and drive somewhere. That's rolling the dice. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you have to roll the dice, go with the percentages, and I think you got to do what's good for you, you know? And, yeah, that's the key. I mean, you got to do you. And, you and allow your you. neighbor to, to the same respect, right? You do you, but allow your neighbor the same respect to make the, to make the decisions that they make. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the other thing is like I was thinking we were I was walking down the road with my with my daughter and my my wife. And, you know, there's everybody society is 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 become I think it's due to technology. I mean, it's it's everybody's become me, me, me. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody thinks about their boy or, hey, my boy, you know, he's he's kicking ass today or, hey, that grandmother, you know, she needs help crossing the street. There was seemed like there was general things when you go back to the positivity question, there were general things and thought processes we had maybe 10, 15 years ago. That's not even crosses anybody's mind now because it's all about them and what they can get for themselves in life and not helping anybody else. And I think the younger generation needs to take heed to that and think about that. You know, who's who's helping that grandmother cross the road, right? And who's, you know, thinking about their boy or girlfriend, whoever it is, about what they're doing positive in life that you can support. I think there's less support, you know, with positivity in this day and time than there used to be as well. Okay, let me play devil's advocate on that. You know, when you came, when you were in L.A., did you have people helping you succeed in L.A. or was that you going out there and getting a job done? And then when you came back, the same thing, when you had to rebuild yourself and you put on the Ohika Castle, the rumble, what was it, the, the hassle at the castle, you started in with, with you know, uh, revamping Bank Productions. When you did all this stuff as an entrepreneur for a long time, was this you or, or did you have people stopping to, to ask you if you were okay and stopping to ask you if you know you needed any help well when I realized that nobody was going to help me do anything and I had to do everything for myself that's when you know my business grew faster but I'm the type of person that mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that way I mean like I said I may have a tough exterior hard or whatever but I've always been a giver. Even through college, like I was always the guy that took care of my roommates. I was always the guy that paid for everything they go out. I never, you know, if I gave somebody something, I never questioned it. And I expected the same in return, but I never got it. Yeah. So when I realized I had to do stuff for myself, yes, I progressed quicker. I just gave people too much credit based on my own actions and how I, I I think and live my life. But I've always I've always been a giver. And, and when I give somebody something, I never even think about it. I, yeah. I, I probably gave more money away to people than I've made mm-hmm. personally myself. And that's 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 the truth. I don't and I don't know why I've always been that way, but that's been me um, pretty much my whole life. Yeah. And I think what ends up happening there is maybe somebody tries to be good, right? And they try to do the right thing and they try to be giving. But then just like what you're saying, the, the, the actions aren't reciprocated. And that can only happen a couple of times before you're like, screw it, I'll do it myself. And then when you do it yourself and somebody else asks you for help, it's like, man, I had to do it myself. You do it yourself. And it becomes that self-perpetuation you were talking about earlier. You know, so it's one of those things, again, yeah, there's a right way and a wrong way, but you have to be aware that you're even doing it the wrong way. So much of us, so many of us are, are not aware in the moment, you know, that 
that they're stuck in this this you know mindset. Um, I mean, it makes me it makes me feel good. Like if I do something, if I give somebody some advice or I give them a direction or I help them do something, I mean, I feel good that what I, you know, whatever that little piece I helped them with made them succeed more, you know, um, because they maybe listened to something or I helped them do this. I mean, I like seeing that, you know, I like doing things to help people succeed. But I think the me, me, me world and the jealousy and all the other nonsense that comes with it limits people from a true growth potential. Well, I'll tell you one thing you can do to help is put the magic phone on silent next uh, next episode. John John is the only, I call it the magic the magic cell phone. John is the only person I've ever met who people call him to offer him money. <laughs> Most people who call me are trying to get money from me. Uh, the magic phone. Every time that phone goes off, every time in the background, you guys have heard that. Doo -doo 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 -doo, that's somebody giving John money. So, <laughs> hey, it's uh, the, the sun shines on a dog's ass every now and then. <laughs> pretty cool you know especially you know we're, we're trying to uh as a comedian i could tell you it's a hard this is a very very hard time it's a very hard moment because you want to be funny but if you take something that's so serious and you take a moment that's that's so serious and you try to joke through that moment you could come off as being super insensitive you know so so trying to process everything is is really is a really really important part of the comedic process right because if, if you just if you're just ripping off the top, if you're just joking, 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 you know, then then you're you're not connecting. What we talked about way back in the beginning of this, you're not connecting with people. And, and if you're not connecting with people, if they think you're insensitive, there's a difference between being a comedian and being a clown. Taking that step back that you talked about, John, and allowing this process to to happen, it's really important, you know. And then from there, once the dust settles, you can see what is funny and what's not about the situation that's the time aspect right you know tragedy plus time equals comedy i mean all the comedians we have in our group are great comedians balancing that makeup and presenting that in society the right way that's going to make people like you is a very dynamic job being a comedian i absolutely agree with that i mean it's if i hope i'm gr agreeing with the right thing but yeah i uh that's that's an interesting take on how to present yourself yeah i you know it, and it's there's also people that need an escape so you can't just hammer them you're not the news you know you're not the news you're not a politician so you can't just hammer people with current event topic current event topic so you know what i've tried to do is i've tried to strike like you use the great word balance i've tried to strike that balance of hey i'm a human being living in this world and i care and and these are my real thoughts and then also here's something to take your mind off of it you know so i'm i want to be respectful of the situation and be respectful of people's emotions and anger, you know, and also at the same time, understand that that my role in this is to provide insight and perspective and then also provide an outlet for laughter, you know, kind of trying to like, these are the worst times for a comedian, right? Because you, you need to make jokes and, and you, you need to make people laugh and people look to you as an outlet. But at the same time, you know, you, you, you don't want to seem like you're completely clueless to uh, and, and because that being clueless. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't think that much. Maybe. Do you? Yeah. We're yeah. Worried about, you know, that's one thing. It's uh, I said a quote, Brad Pitt. I think it was Brad Pitt. I can't take his quote. He says, you know, in entertain in I think it was in in the entertainment business. He said, worry about yourself because nobody else is, you know, and take heed in that.
you know, never. And, and I took heed of that. And uh, I never wait on anybody, you know, never wait on anybody in business or in the entertainment business, you know, and don't worry about everybody else. Worry about yourself and, you know, have your voice, you know, with limits, know the land, have your voice. Know the. I, I do agree with knowing the landscape, you know, because I don't want you to get out there and, and when you when you beat up that landscape a little too much, that, that job uh, description gets diluted. And when I say that, the job description gets diluted is you get less gigs. So I think you got to understand the landscape and do you and not worry about everybody else. Goes back to being aware, right? This whole, this whole podcast has been self-awareness. It's been learning how to become self-aware, man. I mean, and that's, it seems like such a simple thing, self-awareness. It, it seems like such something that should be like, everybody should know who they are at every moment. But I can tell you that that's something that, that I've struggled with for a long time, you know, is, is becoming cognizant of exactly who I am and who I want to be and doing the right things. And, you know, again, some, somewhere around three years ago when I started really hammering down, you know, processing these things and, you know, things really you know, forcing myself to be positive, forcing myself to be aware, things really started changing for the better. For me. Well, I do think that um, it's just going back to the earlier conversation, information drives society. And I do think that too much information in society that we get, and that's, that's the part we need to figure out how to start managing better. You create too many thought processes because a lot of information you don't know that's affecting your decision making or how to be funny or not funny or how to do your job or not do your job. That's something you got to recognize as well. Being able to decipher that is when I say being smarter, deciphering that information, the overload information. The overload information is the information that makes you think too much and may run you down a rabbit hole. You don't need to run down to be the best you can be. Think of, you know, think about, you know, Chris Farley, Think about Eddie Murphy. I don't, th you know, Richard Pryor. I don't think any of those guys had a lot of limitations on what they were going to say because they didn't have information that was holding them down to what they're going to say. So understanding that information, understanding the landscape and adapting to that will make somebody a smarter comedian in this day and time. There's minefields we have to navigate that they didn't have to navigate. They didn't have to deal with cancel culture or any of that stuff. You know, that's 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 the other side of it. So we do have to navigate that. This was good, man. This made me feel better. I got I got to get some stuff off my chest. It's almost like this was almost like a therapy session. John, you were my therapist. I'm going to have to yeah, send I know, you like, right? I'm going to have to send you like <laughs> 250 for your time here, man. This is one of those, I just can't wait, kind of like, you, you used the perfect word early on, man, the tension. It's just that tension, you know? Like, this rubber band's been pulled as far as we can pull it. Now we gotta, we, we, we gotta come back, you know, let's, before this thing snaps. Let's get, let's get some shows going. Let's get some people smiling. Let's get some people laughing. Let's get, let's, let's get people living life the right way again, you know? Everybody be good out there, and we'll see you next time. Check out bangproductionstv.com for all your entertainment information. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 